Hello and welcome to At The Source. I'm Alex and this is Karis. This is a podcast about food stories. We love talking about food and eating it. So we wanted to talk to fellow food lovers and record their stories. We're having conversations with everyone from home cooks to food producers and restaurateurs. So why not join us as we explore food in all its glory? Welcome to At The Source. Today's guest is James Wetlaw, founder of Caprito Goat Meat. He's a chef, author and goat meat evangelist travelling the world to encourage us all to eat more goat. His first cookbook, aptly named Goat, was published earlier this year to much fanfare. Welcome James, thank you for giving us some of your time at the Abergavenny Food Festival today. My pleasure. What is your first memory of food? My first memory of food is cooking with my mum. We lived in a small cottage in the Devon countryside and she used to make stuff with pastry and she'd give me the little off cut of pastry uh, and I, like they would go in the oven with a little bit of jam and I'd make these little jam tarts and that's my first memory of and so I think it's quite interesting that my first memory of food isn't actually eating my first memory of food is actually cooking I think that's actually the first that we've had like that because we ask everybody that question and yours is the first one that has involved cooking yeah. but the thing that's really nice is that everybody's everybody's story seems to revolve around their mum or their grandparents yeah. and that is yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so key isn't I it? think it's really important longer term and your attitude towards food um, we cook me Sushi my partner in life and in business um, we have two children they know that food comes from mum or dad doing something over there in the kitchen and then it comes to the table yeah. it's not something goes in this thing it goes ping and then it comes out yeah. and my kids are always dragging the chairs up to the cooker and you know wanting to poke stuff and that's how I learn to cook and I, that, I think that will give you a good grounding in understanding that food is a process that comes from somewhere and hopefully they'll understand that there's you know beyond just the kitchen there's growing and producing as well so were those first food memories of you cooking with your mum is that kind of what inspired you to then cook professionally no I don't well no I mean I don't think anyone's profession comes from one single influence really I grew up in a small seaside town Lyme Regis the only job you got when you were a kid was either pot wash or chopping onions or working in a takeaway um, and I worked in a small takeaway by the Cobb in Lyme Regis really busy touristy place and uh, the fish and chip shop was rammed and we used to have like 50 orders all at once and it was fish and chips and burgers and chips and sausage and chips and w- like loads of sort of not, not loads of pressure because it's only working in a small fish and chip shop but you've got to get the food out quick and that kind of that kind of intense food prep thing I love that feeling and I still that's the only thing I miss about cooking now is eight o'clock Saturday night right in the weeds and having to bang the food out and I that maybe it's like an adrenaline buzz and that's the sort of addiction to adrenaline maybe but that was the thing I really enjoyed and I found that I didn't get that anywhere else so that's one of the reasons um, also I lived with my sister when I went to college in London and my sister is a fabulous cook and my mum's a great cook she's a great British housewife cook for, in a, for want of a better term my sister had lived in Spain and lived in Greece and sort of made moussaka and introduced me to chorizo and you know she's a great cook and she cooks for a lot of people it's a big part of her sort of social life and that really opened my eyes to sort of beyond just British cooking there was this big thing out there but the combination of that kind of experience and and the early experience of cooking with my mum and having that experience in a sort of really busy touristy kitchen where you got this brilliant buzz from being really up against it and having to get it out that was what really drove me I think to 
combining all those things. So talking a little bit about your background before you started selling goat meat yeah. and getting into um, kind of pushing the goat agenda, is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, the goat agenda. Yeah. Um, what kind of led you to the point? Did you always enjoy eating and cooking goat as an adult or is it like no, kind of I mean, dawned I, on you one day? I don't have any sort of special skills when it comes to goats. I, I knew as much about them as the next person did six years ago. But I met my I met my girlfriend in London when I was working as a chef in London and we sort of moved back to Devon where I grew up. I mean, we were always going to do that. I got a job working for Hugh at River Cottage and I was cooking at one of his canteens. Um, we, through a series of coincidences, ended up with this little piece of land to look after for some friends and it was really overgrown. So we thought, what should we do? Being good River Cottage employees, we'll get some pigs. Next door said, we don't want you to get pigs because we're trying to sell the house and pigs are loud and smelly and stuff, which they're not. But they said, please don't get pigs. So we thought, what else clears? What else is? What else has a reputation for eating anything? Goats. So we put these four goats on this bit of land. We bought them from a dairy called Hill Farm Dairy, which was making stooly cheese for Neil's yard at the time. In the time that they were on this land, they cleared it. And in the same time, I got to know Will, who ran the dairy, and he'd explained to me the problem with the billy goats and the dairies not having any use for them because mm. you can't milk a male goat and all that stuff. Once the goats came up to slaughter weight, I put them on the menu at Hughes. They sold really well. I had this little kind of light bulb moment where I thought, there's this problem where all these billy goats going to waste on Will's farm. Well, Will didn't. He found a way of getting rid of them. But the, but the dairy more generally. In general, In yeah. general, the dairies slaughter the billies at birth because they don't have any use for them wow so we found out about this problem I I worked out that I put these goats on the menu at Hughes they sold really well and in the background I have all this knowledge about the London restaurant industry that I had gained in the 12 years I'd cooked in it I kind of put two and two together and thought maybe I could solve Will's problem make a bit of money on the side maybe enough to pay for a holiday and carry on with my life within 18 months I quit cooking full time we had made formed relationships with lots of different dairies and I was selling goat full time and based on some of the interviews that we've read you were quite it seems like you were quite surprised that goat took off as well as it has done uh, yes um, I don't know yeah maybe I mean Yes and no. I think there is a, we don't have any cultural history of eating goats, so it's been a hard sell. But food culture has changed so much in the last 30 years, and so much stuff that we never used to eat is now pretty commonplace that there is, a, there is room for goat. And, you know, chefs are always looking for something new and something different to sort of brighten up the menus. And, and the story behind goat and the sort of the way the previously wasted resource resonated with a lot of people. So, yes, it is. It's been, I mean, it's not been easy. There's, it's been difficult to sell. It's taken, you know, me full time banging on about it for six years for us to get oh, to a course. point where, to get to a point where it started to pay us. But I don't know that, I don't know that surprised is right. I mean, I think that a lot of things have sort of coalesced for it to happen at this time. Food waste is much more in the sort of ether. Um, chefs and much more when I first started cooking your suppliers were people you left answering machine messages for at the end of the night now your suppliers are guys you speak to every week you know there's me who sort of is a producer Tom Jones who's also at Abergavenny doing thing about beef he does the same thing farm to farm to restaurant back door that's become much more sort of the way that restaurants operate so we've been part of that so yeah it's I wouldn't say surprise is right because it has been sort of not easy 
No, and I, I sorry if it's no, 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 I don't, no, 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 I just that's I don't, I didn't. Do you think that general focus now on sustainable and ethical food practice has? I mean, you've sort of said in some way that it has helped. Do you think that it's been a big part of it? Yeah, it's not just goat. Goat's got a great story, and it's yeah, it's it's no longer acceptable to not Billy goats on the head and throw them in the bin, and everybody kind of understands that. The thing that has really benefited us is that a lot of chefs have have grown up and worked and developed their careers in an environment where people are more conscious of waste. So Neil Rankin, who's a big customer of ours, runs Temper, he's banned plastic from his restaurants. He doesn't do sous vide anymore because he doesn't want the plastic waste. So that's a that's a way of sort of illustrating that these sort of these ideas of ethically sourced meat and sustainability is are starting to seep into because the people that were you know, they were when those ideas first started dripping into food, they were just junior chefs. Now those guys are old enough to be running places, and they've taken those ideas with them and made them policy. And we've been a huge beneficiary of that. There is a great story behind Cabrito, and a great story behind the Billy Goat problem, and chefs respond to that and they want to help. They want to put food on their, want to put meat on their menu that is ethically reared, sustainably sourced. You know, and, and we are both ethically reared and sustainably sourced, but we're also a little bit unusual and the thing that somebody like temper benefits from is you know the chefs the chefs cook in front of the in front of the customer literally in front of the customers the table sits over the sort of grills and so the chefs can talk to their customers about the food that they're eating and the meat that they're cooking and the chefs will say this is a previously wasted resource we work really closely with James there's this big problem in the billy goat industry so chefs and, chefs and restaurants are having a positive impact on that stuff that then for us seeps through because you know there's a bit of a lag between cutting edge restaurants in anywhere in the country and what turns up in supermarket shelves and that's because there's a development and then you've got to go through you know there's first of all the supermarkets have to recognize the trend and then they have to do their like their new product development and then there's all the like all the testing and all that stuff and making sure that the product actually is good enough for supermarkets in terms of the legislation and the, the hoops you have to jump through so there's a three-year drag between cutting edge development on chefs and what turns up on supermarket shelves so then that's the next question are you seeing now more people at home are taking the cook goat or cooking goat effectively yeah I mean the, the path the path to market for us and what I think is a path to market for small producers like us your restaurants are paid in fact restaurants pay us to take our product to make it look and taste as good as possible which is brilliant for us what that does is showcase your product so people come out of Temper Quo Vardis Great Queen Street St John all these places that we supply and that goat was really nice I'm going to try that myself where do I find it get on the internet find something yeah so that we have a shop online which we sell good, a good amount of stuff through and you know there are plenty of other people like me that do that and that is that is the sort of entry to market. You you showcase your products in these high-end restaurants, people then try it. Hopefully, further on down the line, those trends are recognized by larger butchers and retailers and even the multi- major multiples, the supermarkets, and eventually it ends up on supermarket shelves, which I make absolutely, that's what we're aiming for, and I make no bones about it. I know that some people see supermarkets as the enemy, 
Cabrito has a single line mission statement and that is to get all the billy goats into the food system and end the waste and the only way to do that I think is with the large multiple retailers if we get it on Sainsbury's Waitrose shelves the problem goes away it's about making it accessible Absolutely. and I don't think we can be snobby about where you buy your meat from people are though because pe- there are people on, on varying levels of income and not exactly. all of us can afford to buy 100%. from you or buy from the top notch butcher down yeah. the road they, the only thing they can afford is going to Tesco and you don't want to make good food the preserve of the rich Absolutely. what you want to do is what I think what I think you want to do is is drag the standards up by by using by the way that I mean we've had to pretty much write goat meat standards because there weren't any goat meat standards so we we've worked with a couple of dairies to actually have proper legally binding goat meat standards that are independently audited by an outside sort of company which are now the same as supermarket standards for lamb I mean and like Red Tractor is a minimum set of standards Mm -hmm. I think people don't really understand that's not like the all singing all dancing this is the best way things can be done Red Tractor is a minimum set of standards I think what the what people like us can do and what the sort of high-end restaurant and the sort of they can demand higher standards they can drag those minimum standards up and I don't think there is a I don't think that animal welfare standards and higher animal welfare standards have an impact on the price of meat so they're not you can't say well we can't afford to have higher meat, higher meat welfare standards you can have higher welfare standards that don't impact on the meat price to make it to make it inaccessible for people on lower incomes. this leads quite nicely then into um, a question I'm interested in which is so you've already mentioned that you sell goat meat on your website for consumers where should someone start what would be a good entry way for them to start cooking goat at home the first first place to start is find a local supplier I mean we have a shop on the website which delivers nationwide but there are your local farmers market you might find someone there that makes the cheese ask them more farmers are keeping their billy goats alive have a look at your local farm shop they might find some Uh, and then if that all all else fails Cabrita has an online shop you can come back from me and what would be a foolproof easy cut or easy dish for someone to start out with well there's 70 recipes in my cookbook you can start there sorry for the plug but no you, no we were really <laughs> good that later <laughs> no, no 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 I mean the thing, the, there is a there is a um, one of the things that we have tried to do is demystify go you know is to try and take away the oh I don't know how to cook it or it's quite exotic and it's dishes that a goat shank and a lamb shank are exactly the same you know if you if you want to a good rule of thumb is anything you can do with lamb you can do with goat okay so that does beg the question well why don't I just eat lamb then the question for that is that for me I think goat is a better tasting product I think lamb can be too fatty I think it can be quite overwhelming but also there's a lot of recipes out there that have been anglicised they've taken like they've taken a tagine recipe and because goat isn't widely available in the shops they've made it lamb so you can actually cook it same is true with a lot of curries the more authentic product in those curries would be a goat product and is there a recipe in your cookbook which we will put the link to uh, in the show notes <laughs> thank you that's the plug yeah. is there a particular recipe that you love is there do you have a favourite or I don't have a favourite because there are so many different techniques that you can use cooking so I mean one of my favourite recipes anywhere is the kibanyar which is the raw chopped goat 
and the reason that I love it so much is not only because it's delicious but it, it's so far away from what people assume goat tastes like. because people think goat's tough and chewy and smelly and really difficult and the complicated recipes and loads of spices and stuff this is raw chopped goat with bulgur wheat and lemon juice and soft herbs you know I've seen that on was it Nigel Slater was eating that I'm on? not sure but I, we, when we were doing our research I know that you mentioned that dish in a couple yeah. of interviews and um, I I mean I was you made it sound really good and I was it really challenges it your what people think goat is you know and that that's why I like it and it's equal amounts of, of hand chopped goat meat bulgur wheat and then mint chives parsley lemon and that's it and it's like really sunflower fresh. seeds or pine nuts and, and it is that's exactly what it is it's light and zesty it has that kind of high iron tone you get in raw meat which is really beautiful but for me as I said it's not what people perceive it to be mm-hmm. and it really changes people's minds about what goat is that said, I mean, if you bone a shoulder of goat out and throw it on a barbecue, I mean, 20 minutes later, you've got the most amazing thing. If you slow, like, slow braise the shoulders, there's so much kind of sticky gooiness in the in the shoulders that it just, I mean, it's a lovely, lovely slow cook. It's, it is as versatile as lamb. But as I said, there are more, there are, some of the recipes we use are more authentic than these goat. Mm-hmm. So while you're talking about demystifying goat, and I think that was one of the key reasons we wanted to talk to you, is because you kind of, you make goat more accessible to people. Because, I mean, people, they tend to be afraid, I'm afraid of things that I don't understand that and I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by making it more accessible, you make people sort of go, oh, I do want to give that a try, because he makes it sound so amazing. So if you could, you know, bust a couple of the biggest goat myths, what would they be? Well, that it's tough and it's smelly. I mean, there's, there's plenty of first of all there's the animal themselves the animals are are seen as they'll eat anything hats coats plastic bags you know that's not the case Um, they are seen in some cases as pests I think goats have played a goats were the first domesticated farm animal dogs were the first domesticated animal goats were the first domesticated farm animal goats have played a key role in human development in farming because they have given milk and meat and allowed people to live in areas that they wouldn't otherwise be able to live in. Goats are quite a home in, in quite sparse environments, so they allow they allow people to live on the margins in a way that they wouldn't have done. Uh, goats are really fussy eaters, which is another thing they're not really well known for. So the animals are quite the animals themselves are really misunderstood, and in human culture, they're also like goats are. Um, Escaped, so they, you know, goats go are used in a negative context. So, that scapegoat was a uh, in Jewish culture, you would blame all of the ills of the village would be put onto this goat's head, who would then be sent out into the wilderness, and that would be the scapegoat. That's and scapegoating. That, that's scapegoating. Yeah. Ah, okay. What they do is they take two. One, they would be sent out into the wilderness with all the burdens on top of it. The other one would have its throat split and the blood spattered over the tabernacle. So they would sacrifice one and let the other one go, as taking all the ills of the wow. taking all the sins of the village with them so and there's the Baphomet with the sort of evil connotations which comes from uh, the Knights Templar in the 13th century and Mm. sort of devil worship and all that stuff so they have this really bad reputation just in culture which is completely undeserved and they have played a real fundamental role in the development of humans and farmers because of the milk and the meat and the cheese and the, and it, like I said, being able, allowing humans to live on the margins in areas they wouldn't otherwise be. Like, goats will live in areas where sheep and cows can't go, which allows people to live in niches and start these communities and thrive and prosper. Because um, they're really hardy, versatile animals.
goodness. So there's that. But then there's the meat itself. Like we we assume that goat needs to be slow cooked, loads of bold flavours, and that is true of the older goats. And that is, that is and I wouldn't say that the older goats are any better or any worse than the younger animals. They just need cooking in a slightly different way. The goats are also not considered to have you know a particularly good confirmation. They don't grow very well. All that stuff is nonsense. They all, goats have not had thousands of years of selective breeding to turn them into meat animals mm. in the way that cows and mm. sheep have. So sheep a thousand years ago wouldn't look like sheep do now, but they had been bred to a point where they've got these massive shoulders, these massive behinds, which is why on spring watch you see farmers up all night pulling goats, pulling sheep out the back of other sheep because they can't, they can't give birth naturally. That isn't the, that isn't the same with goats. Goats have not been manipulated by selective breeding to turn them into these massive carcasses, which I think gives them a part of me thinks that's why they're so good cook over fire because they have this kind of natural sort of like there's quite a primal cooking over fire is quite a primal way of cooking goats haven't been altered in any way they feel quite they feel quite primal as well and that's mm. why I think the goat and fire thing that, that might just be me romanticizing oh, it, really, it's just making me really hungry for some kind of barbecued meat we cooked on the Kadaibals up in the castle yesterday mm. and I mean there's something about cooking goat over fire which is just it's just amazing I think we're about out of time yeah, um, really you, I could keep going for ages yeah I know I actually, this I always to, happens <laughs> I wanted to ask so I know that your your book is sort of it's your your baby it was released earlier this year yeah. can you tell us a little bit about putting that together we were asked to do it by Quadrille and that was a real honour um it was actually a lot easier than I was than I expected because I've been driving around, you know, delivering goats for five years, and I'm naturally quite interested in the subject. So I've done a lot of the research already, and kind of learned about because I do stuff like this, and you need to talk about it. Also, Sushi, my partner, did the anthropology of food degree at SAS, the master's degree. So we had really cool. yeah, the <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Unfortunately, she falls apart in front of a microphone, which so but she's I mean, even she's, one with a fluffy even, troll even head, even one that looks like a troll, yeah. Um, um, because we've had lots of conversations and she'd done this sort of master's degree and we got introduced to her professor, Harry West, who who is the most knowledgeable man on cheese probably on the planet. We had this kind of sort of academic slant to the way that we thought about goat anyway because it was a really interesting subject from an academic point of view. It's a really interesting subject. So there's kind of, I knew that there was a way of writing and structuring things to make it sort of interesting. So Sushi's influence in the book is that kind of, is talking about the history of it from an anthropological point of view. I mean, I wrote it all, but that's her stuff. Like me, I have learned through her that that's how you, you and also having the confidence to talk about those things. I mean, I did a, I interviewed Ivan Day for the book, who's a food historian, and went up to his house in Cumbria and was expecting to be there for an for a cup of tea and biscuits and five hours later yeah, I left it doesn't work like that <laughs> yeah and he had found every single goat recipe in the English language wow. from, from the form of a curry all the way through to 1850 bought them out of his library on a tray and went there you go oh, and I was just like amazing. That does oh sound my good. god you know and so we sat there for five hours and just talked about the history of goat and all that stuff and that's where the the Sushi's kind of influence and learning how to sort of approach it from an academic point of view, coupled with Ivan and his enormous generosity with his knowledge and his experience, gave me the confidence to write that sort of introduction to goats and humans and tell the story a little bit. And then the 70 recipes bit was sort of easy because 
I knew the product and know the product well enough to know where it's best in food. So that was kind of easy. But I wanted to, I thought that the humans and goats were such an interesting story. I wanted to tell that. And Sarah Lavelle, the publishing director of Quadrille, just let me do it, Brilliant. which is hugely to her credit. Cause so refreshing to not just be a book of just... Here's yeah, a recipe. It could have just do this, been, do that, do that. Here's it could a have recipe, been seventy recipes. That. You know, it could have just banged out seventy recipes and walked away. But I felt like there was a story that needed telling. Yeah. And we also talked about the Farm Africa stuff, which was really interesting. They've do a goat project in the Tigray Valley. Tigray Valley is the place where Michael Burke, that really famous uh, famine slot on the BBC, on the six o'clock news, that yep. led to Live Aid. Okay. Tig- the Tigray Valley is now the goat project for Farm Africa started there. 20 years ago with four goats and one family. They've got 10,000 families who are all involved in this project with goats. It's been so successful that Farm Africa have now handed it over to the local community and kind of taken a step back from that particular project. There are now overwhelmingly those are female-headed households because the men leave for you know casual labour and send money back and they, they personally never return. Um, it's had a, in, it's just a phenomenal effect on the community in Tigray. They, they're all the things you expect, you know, infant mortality has plummeted, literacy rates have gone through the roof. But the thing that stands out for me is female representation in government's gone up 600%. Wow. Because Farm Africa have brought women in to manage this goat project, and they've been in it for 10, 15 years, and they've got to the top of the Farm Africa project and gone, what shall I do with all this knowledge? We'll go into local government. It has changed the culture from women who open their mouth being seen as difficult to actually being involved in society. So powerful. It's amazing. And they so what they've done is they've increased obviously like I said the literacy rates and all that kind of stuff but domestic violence rates have fallen through the floor FGM has almost stopped completely in the Tigray Valley the and they have irrigated because they've the, the, it's been so successful they've, they can now microfinance between themselves they've irrigated the valley and they now have a flower business and a honey business and this thriving community and all of that happened because they introduced goats to it 20 years ago who knew that so that is an illustration of that's happened throughout culture with humans and goats but it's a great illustration of how introducing goats into culture can have a really positive effect in areas that you didn't even think it was possible. Amazing. I feel like that's a, a brilliant almost ending and I, I would never have guessed that goats would have such an impact on on so many levels of society yeah. and the community. And it's, I mean, if we could stay here for five hours and talk to you about goats, we probably would. Do you have any next steps, your next leaps into, you know, is there plans that you can tell us about or maybe there's some secret school things that you know you we should watch your twitter account for well everything everything goes back to the cabrito mission statement of all the goats into the food system so everything we do is focused on that goal but the next thing that's coming up is goatober throughout october where we have um events throughout the country in the uk we've got bristol manchester got a few plenty of events in london one in cornwall where we're doing inviting people come along buy a ticket nice and cheap cook some goat listen to me talk about it but we've also got we've internationalised Goat 
October because it was an idea that started in America. So we're going over to we're going over to New York to do a few events in event in Brooklyn, an event in the East Village, and a and a Farm Africa event in Manhattan as well. But we've also got events in. Uh, Belgium, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, and Ireland. So, Just a few. Yeah, and we're doing we're doing seven countries in 29 days. And the idea with Goattober is that we get restaurants to put a goat dish on their menu for a month or for a few weeks during October just to kind of make it more normal and get more people eating it and obviously put more billies into the food system. Because the problem's big in the UK because we have 100,000 milking nannies. There's 350,000 milking nannies in Holland and there's over a million in France. So the problem that we have here... Which is you know, fifty to seventy thousand billy goats going to waste is of a magnitude greater all over Europe. So we've been working throughout Europe to bring Goatober sort of international and help put more goats into the food system all over the world. And that'll be bigger and better every year. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, this year we've it's at the UK version which we started and the US version which was started by Heritage Foods have operated separately. This year we're bringing them together. We've got a standalone social media account um, and we've also done a logo which is being used across Europe and in the US and next year we're going to do a standalone website which will which will pull together all the sort of goats uh, Goatober events all over the world so Goatober was a brilliant idea set up by Aaron Fairbanks in the US in 2012 we took it on for the first time three years ago and we've grown it and grown it and grown it and what we're going to try and do is take it everywhere everywhere there is a dairy a goat dairy there is a billy goat with a grim prognosis you know and what we're trying and do is make Gotoba the kind of entry point for people to try goat and then spread it out throughout the year. Absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. That's all right. We've really enjoyed it. My and, pleasure. Um, we have learned a lot about goats. <laughs> um, if you enjoyed listening, we will have some show notes and we'll link to James's uh, Cabrito website um, to Goattober information. And uh, we hope you will listen to some of the other episodes at thesource.com and at the source on Twitter. And until next time. Over and out.